Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. What up, world? It's Kevin Hart. Listen to me and listen now. I am so excited to tell you guys about Laugh Out Loud's radio's newest podcast. It's called Love Thing, hosted by Saturday Night Live's Punky Johnson. Each week, Punky and her co-host, Dicey, are giving callers their honest and hilarious relationship advice. It's like talking to your therapist, if your therapist was from New Orleans and wasn't afraid to cuss your ass out. Anyway, listen to Love Thing with Punky Johnson Mondays on Sirius XM, Laugh Out Loud Radio, or subscribe wherever your podcast And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of your favorite celebrities. This is Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. Welcome to all new episode of, of what? Comedy Gold Mines. Where we do what, people? Where we get inside the minds of amazing comedians. And oh my God, what mind we have. Holy stinkies. Holy Ishka Bibbles. Holy smokes and cabbage, Batman. <laughs> Today on the show, we have a legend. We have a, a opinionated and humorous individual. Very hard combination to basically to, to, to tackle, okay? Because a lot of people can't do it. A lot of people can't do it correctly. Some people can have an opinion, but they can't put the humor and they can't match them. They can't, like, they can't merge the worlds well. Sometimes it comes off stupid. But not this guy. This guy comes all smart <laughs> and educated every time. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Trevor Noah, the Comedy Goldmines. How you doing, Trev? What's going on, Kevin Hart? How you doing, man? Kevin Darnell Hart, as I live and breathe. <laughs> hey, man, I uh, I appreciate you taking the time, dude. I really do. I know your schedule is insane. Are you kidding? I, let me say, I don't just appreciate being here. I appreciate that you have the time. How do you have the time? Don't have the time. I do it on my lunch break. While I'm doing a movie. Right. That's what it feels like to me. Because I feel like you work more than anybody I know. Like, I don't have much time, but you do more than me. And I don't know how you do that. I don't know where you find the time. Well, I'm addicted to it, Trev. I'm, I'm addicted to the to the work. I'm a, I am a... Are you addicted to the work or the money? You know what? Not the money. I'm addicted to the work. That's truth. You just gotta. You just gotta, you gotta keep moving. You gotta keep moving. No, it's not even keep moving right now. I love the idea of creating, and I love the idea of breaking down new walls, new barriers. You know, creating new ground, doing things that people okay. didn't expect you to do or think that you could do. Falling in love with you know the new path that you create. Like it doesn't have to just be comedy it doesn't have to just be stand-up and mm-hmm, i love mm-hmm. the fact that it's writing producing directing business within the vc space so much right but i mean but like now the thing people don't expect from kevin hart is to just like take a break and go on vacation you know if you became a monk that would be unexpected that would be that would be insane by the way 
by the way. Yeah. If it was just like Kevin Hart comes back and just, can you imagine you as a monk just coming back like three years, you've been in Tibet or something and you come back like, oh shit, Kevin Hart. Well, it's funny you say that because Kevin Hart, the monk, Hart monk is his <laughs> too. <laughs> Kevin Hart, the monk. I just gave you your newest movie project. Just let me produce it, Kevin. Just give me, just let me, Kevin Hart. It's the story of this high, high paid individual. He's killing it in Silicon Valley. He's making money everywhere. And then he loses his family. His wife says she's leaving. And someone goes, you know what you need? You need to become a monk. And then Kevin goes off and he becomes a monk. That's the pitch. You know what I mean? And then he gets there. And then what happens is the monks start to become more like him. <laughs> and he starts to become more like him. And then all hilarity ensues, Kevin. This is the movie and we're making it, my friend. By the way, whenever people say ensues, the pitch just went bad. <laughs> They say, and hilarity ensues. Action ensues here. How many pictures have you been where people go, and then Kevin, Kevin does his thing, and then it, you know, and then that's, and then Kevin just does it, and it just, you know, and it, I mean, Kevin, you know what Kevin does. And then after that, that's when Kevin, that's when, that's when Kevin, this is where, and this is where we expect Kevin to do Kevin. That's what I hear. <laughs> oh, okay. I had the worst one, I'll give you the worst one that I've ever heard. Then I'm going to get into some questions with you. The worst pitch was they were trying to sell me on doing Eddie Murphy's Beverly Hill Cops remake. They were trying to make okay. it into a okay. TV show. And they were like, Kevin, you're the guy. And I was like, well, no, nah, kind of this has been done. And I said, you know, uh, I think this is an opportunity for a new face to to jump into and, you know, really right, right. make the most side of this. This isn't something that, that I can do. They was like, no, because listen, what Eddie did, right, was, was really make this character pop. And we think that you can make the character that Eddie made pop, make it pop again by doing what you do, but making it pop. I was like, what are you, are you guys, what are you saying? I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. They're saying, we, we want you to do, don't do what Eddie did, do what he did, but in the way that you would do it, but yeah. pop. Like, guys, that's not... I'm confused. I'm confused. What we want you to repop it, Kevin? Yeah. What the fuck are you asking me to do? I started to get frustrated actually. What the fuck are you saying? This doesn't make sense. Yeah, you're not listening to us. Don't do what Eddie did. Do what you would do, but as Eddie, but make it pop. It was one of those weird things. It was. It was one of those oh, moments man. where you just saw like you know, uh, we're, we're searching for material. We're searching for IP to right. create. That's what it was. We're just trying to figure it out, dude. Here's where I'm happy and most excited. I remember sitting down, talking to you. We were at the, uh, which uh, what's the arena where they play tennis at, Trevor? What, what's the name? We were at the U.S. Open. It was at, uh, what is it, Arthur Ashe Stadium, yes. I think is what it's called. U.S. Open. You're talking to me yeah. about comedy. We're talking about, you know, the size of the rooms that I was doing from uh -huh. Uh -huh. arenas to stadiums. And, you know, it was just a, a stand-up comedy conversation, man. When we were talking about it, you were just like, you were asking the questions. And I was giving the answers, right? And, right. It, and it wasn't like you were asking the questions saying, yeah, man, I... I'm hoping that I can one day or man, I can't wait for the day. Yeah, yeah. Specifically, specifically, I remember one of the questions I asked you was like, hey, how was it performing in the round? Because you had just done your tour in the round. Mm. And so I wanted to know what it was like being in the middle because I'd done clubs and shows in the round like that, but never an arena in the round. That's what I remember how we started the conversation. You were asking the questions and I'm giving you answers, man. And you were just, you were listening. Like you, you were listening. It was like a, it was a really dope conversation, but you were listening. And I remember walking away from that conversation. I was like, the dope thing about Trevor is he really loves the craft. 
he really loves the craft. And I said, with oh, yeah, him loving the craft, like, yeah. you know, I hope this guy knows he's really doing it his way. Like, you know, like he's in a lane of his own. And, and you know, if handled correctly, this lane can just blow up into some shit that he may not even see coming. Yeah, thank you, man. We cut to after pandemic. We cut to after pandemic. We cut to you making some audibles within the way that you guys shot the Daily Show. You know, you, right, right, right. You did it to where you're doing it through Zooms. You know, the 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 whole yeah, virtual yeah. world is set up. Show's still going. You're still doing your thing. And then I remember seeing you announce your tour after mm-hmm. after it's like okay, people are going to get back out. We got a handle on it. And then I remember calling my guy and I said, I want to know how Trevor's tour dates are doing. I said, is he is he moving tickets? And they said, you have no idea. He's fucking crushing. Trevor is selling tickets. Trevor is doing arenas. Trevor is now, he's going to be domestic as well as international. And man, I was so happy. You remember I sent you a message. I don't know if either I put it under under your post or I sent you a message, but I was saying so happy right, for you, Right, right, right. Yeah, man. So happy for you. Yeah, which I've always appreciated. Because it's like, you know, it's from that little conversation, what I took from it was, you know, you were a guy that was just asking for information because you, you either saw you either saw where you were about to go and you knew it was coming soon and you just wanted right, some right, shit. Right, right, right. Or you were just, you know, just picking the brain of one guy that you know was doing it. Well, well, here's here's the thing for me. I Number one, I love the craft. Number two, I love the craftsmen as well. Wow. And so, you know, there are so many comics who have shaped everything that I do and how I see it. And And you know what I've always loved about comedy is Oftentimes, we're not in the same place, but I feel like as comedians, we're always together. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that com- like comedy as a whole is a monolith. It just means that like comedians have a shared idea of experiences because we have an experience that very few people understand. Mm-hmm. We know what it's like when a joke bombs. We know what it's like when a venue is terrible. We know what it's like when a show is amazing. You know, the, the electricity. We know what it's like to go to a new place and start a new thing. We, you, you have these levels of experience and understanding that so few people can relate to that I've always appreciated all of the people who do it. And so whether I'm having a conversation with, let's say, Kitty Flanagan in Australia and she's digging into my brain and like shaping my comedy, she's a comedian who, you know, most people in America may not know. And I widely regard as one of the best comedians that I've ever worked with and somebody who is literally partly responsible for me being here today because Mm. she just like, she came to South Africa for a comedy festival and she just started polishing this random kid that she bumped into. She was, we we're on a show together. And she was like, why are you doing that? She's like, oh, yeah, mate. She's like, oh, you got to change that joke. You got to, oh, Trevor, why are you doing that? That's silly. Well, you got to, and then she'd tell me stuff. She'd be like, oh, yeah, you can't say that in Australia. We've got a different opinion. On, and this is how we see it. And that, that word. And it was just this world where she was, she was working. And so I loved the fact that there were these people who were, you know, all these, all these craftsmen who were doing the same thing that I loved. And they were all doing it in a different way. You know, everyone has an influence somewhere. It might be a professional comedian or a parent figure even, but but they were all doing it their own way. And so that's what I've always loved about it. So when I see somebody like Kevin Hart, you know, I go, how on earth do you do this? How do you how do you do a mega world tour? Like, what are, what are some of the pitfalls I can avoid? What are some of the things that work well for you? You know, what spaces, places, timing, etc. Kevin gives you advice. You go, hey, Dave Chappelle, I'm working on this stuff. Yo, what do you think works well and what doesn't work? And then Dave gives me advice, and then he always says to me, but whatever you do, don't follow advice. You don't know. He always says to me, he's like, he's like, whatever you do, don't follow my advice because uh, my shit gets you in trouble. He always says that to me. So. 
<laughs> but I'll ask for advice from everybody, man. Absolutely. And, and so many, so many comedians, I, I find it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it or not. So there's this thing that happens when you get to a certain point in comedy, not in your career, but in comedy, where any comedian can give you a little nugget of knowledge Absolutely. that could be part of the thing that you develop as who you are. And so I, I always appreciate that. Have you ever talked to Steve Harvey? I have. I have. Steve's always telling me to do a game show, though. That's the thing with Steve. Well, outside of that, outside Steve trying to get you to do Family Feud 3, uh, Steve Harvey is probably one of the most brilliant and interested minds that oh, you really? can talk you see, to. No, I've, I've never spoken to Steve in that way. No, you got to talk to him. You just got to okay. say, okay. hey, Steve, you say unk. If you say unk, he going to know you're serious. Say, oh, okay. uh, Steve, Kevin Hart told me to call you unk. And told me to have a serious conversation. Now he's gonna start cursing a lot. He's gonna start cursing a lot. That gets him comfortable. <laughs> but the information, the information that that man has and the knowledge just of how he transferred, you know, the mindset of business and yeah. attached it to yeah. entertainment within comedy, man, is extremely strong. I'll say, I'll say some of my best conversations come from Steve, Dave, Chris. Okay. Um, and Jerry. Jerry, Jerry's a, always a great. A great mind to talk right, to when right. it comes to comedy. Here's a question for you, man. You know, you come from South Africa, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there there was this tone and conversation that was attached to at one point, And it was about your success versus the, the thought of why he was successful from other South African comedians, right? It was a, a world of, I don't want to call it competition because that's the wrong word. Like, uh, there, there was a... Um, a crab in a barrel mentality. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, with the the comedians and the talent from South Africa, right? As far as who deserved what, who did. When you were going through these conversations, and when you heard the murmurs of these conversations in the beginning, did any of them bump you a little bit? Like, did you feel like a need to clear things up or go back and what? No, all the time. So, so here's what I've learned in comedy. This has been like, it's it's a constantly evolving journey that is not unique to comedy, but can often rear its head in comedy in unique ways. And that is, you, you're in an industry that fundamentally has no structure attached to it. There's no rhyme or reason about who makes it and who makes it when. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not, we don't work in a bank. There's no like, all right, Kevin, you've been doing these jokes for five years and now you're going to be regional assistant manager mm -hmm. of jokes. Mm -hmm. None of that. So what can happen in any type of industry is people feel like, they should be on the path that somebody else is on. You know, if that doesn't happen, one of two things can happen. People look at themselves or they look at somebody else. So people look at their own story and go like, what can I change? Then there are other people who look outward and go like, man, this is what other people need to change for me to become more successful. Mm. And comedy is no different. You know, I, I don't think it's a unique human trait, but in comedy, you know, you've experienced this. I've experienced this. I talked to Eddie Murphy. He's experienced this. There's so many comedians who've experienced this like across the board, you know, Amanda Seals. It doesn't matter. As soon as you're doing a thing, people are bound to criticize that thing mm -hmm. because they feel like they should be the one doing it. Why am I not the focus of this? Why didn't Jay Leno call me from South Africa? Why did you, you get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of one of one of my favorite things that I that I ever heard was a comedian. It was at the comedy cellar, for instance, at, at the comedy cellar rather specifically. And we're sitting at the table. You know, the table, and we're all around the table. And I was talking to Keith. You know, Keith. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I was talking to Keith and everyone was arguing and I forget which comedian they were arguing about, about a joke and someone had done a joke and someone, they were like, who's joke and what joke and who's joke, what joke? And then Keith came and Keith was like, he's like, hey man, he's like, let me tell you something about comedians. You know how Keith is with that voice of he's like, yo man. He's like, let me tell you about comedians, Trevor. He's like, there's only two types of comedians. Like if a comedian likes you, they say great minds think alike. If a comedian hates you, they say that asshole stole my joke. There you go. That's the truth. And I was like, oh, like, and... And, you know, working in the craft that I work in now, I've learned so many more things. Late night is a perfect example. Every single day we sit down. Every day we read the news. Every day we write jokes. The amount of times I would see Colbert telling a joke that we also thought of, that Seth Meyers thought of. You're working with the same subject material and you're working with the same amount of time. What that means is there's a good chance you're going to end up in the same place. Mm -hmm. You know, because comedy, comedy is a formula, right? It's a simple formula. And so if you think about anything, if I give you paintbrushes and I give you a bunch of yellow paintbrushes and I give you some green and I give you some blue, there's a good chance a lot of the people are going to draw the same thing because I gave you those certain colors. But do you understand how, how amazing it is for you to have that mindset? Like, do you understand how unique and rare it is for you to have a concept of reality? And for it to be this grounded, like for you to say, yeah, well, you know what? There's a situation where, you know, there's moments where you can think of something or have the the same idea. And within that, things can be told. Things can be said. They'd be duplicated. And I think it's about being observant. Let, yo, let me tell you one of the two, 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 two of the craziest stories that ever happened to me. One, I was doing my first comedy festival in Ireland, doing a show, never been here before. Get on stage, do my thing. Next thing, some comedian gets on. Irish comedian gets on stage and this guy tells the exact same joke that I had. It was early on in my career. It was about uh, Trojan condoms. And I just come back from America and I was like, oh man, I was like, oh, the, in America, they've got this brand of condoms. And basically the premise was they've got a brand of condoms called Trojans. And I said, and I don't know if I like that. I don't know who thought of that name, because if you know anything about history, the Trojans were a group, group of people who snuck in in what seemed like a safe vessel. But then in the middle of the night, a bunch of little men came sneaking out and they caused everybody a lot of harm. And I was like, that's not the name I would go with for condoms. You want that shit to stay secure. You don't want little men sneak. That was my prayer. Yo, I get to Ireland. This guy does the I've never been to Ireland. He's never been to South Africa. And like we would, and you know what was great? He laughed and we laughed and we're like, oh, and, and then he said the thing to me. He's like, oh, Trevor, you know, let me tell you something about comedy. He's like, yeah, yeah, we're dealing with the same things. We're craftsmen. He's like, every person who works with wood has made a chair. Every person who's worked with, with wood has made a table at some point. Wow. He's like, what you're trying to do as a comedian is find the moments where you're creating something unique. But everybody's told a joke about an airplane. Everybody's told a joke about being in a hotel. Everybody's told a joke about a restaurant. He's like, but there's something that makes you special. And you're always trying to find those moments, Trevor. Those are the things that make you not the stuff that you see that everybody else sees i love how you how you just shifted into a character <laughs> from ireland i love how how that seamlessly and, and for my listeners if you do not know this man's impressions are goddamn ridiculous but that fast that fast while talking he went full ireland he went full <laughs> full-fledged ireland on us without even saying and this is the guy he just did it that fast that's a different level of talent with an impression my ireland sounds just like my london just like my my <laughs> south africa just like my my French, it's all the same. Oh, my my one impression is the queen. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> After that, it dies down. I'll tell you a second one, real quick. So the um, so there's the Ireland one that was that stuck with me because that was a personal experience. And then the second one, this was the funniest experience. We were in South Africa when Chris Rock was coming to do his first show, and we're in the audience. 
Chris Rock's never been to South Africa for a show. Here it is, giant, 5,000 people, and we're sitting there, and it's a row of comedians. And this guy's our idol. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is Chris Rock, you know? Bring the pain. Here we are. This is him. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting there in a row, and I will never forget, Chris Rock goes into a bit that was almost exactly the same as one of my best friends, David Kibuka, very funny comedian. He did the bit, and we all turned. You know when you all turn in a row, like, you know what I mean? It was like, it was like, imagine if you were with your boys watching the game, like, 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 like a football game or whatever. And then, you know, when the camera goes to a kiss cam, imagine if you saw your boy's girl there with some dude. Like, that's how we looked at him. It's the most shocking thing ever. Yeah, we oh were just God. like, oh, she was like, that's your, yo, that's your, dude, I, like, David never put that clip on YouTube. It's the biggest compliment. David never put that clip on YouTube. He'd never been, yo, but we were just like, and then he said, he said, yeah, guys. He's like, now you see. Now you see how good my jokes are. Chris Rock is even stealing them. And we laughed because knew, we knew he was joking. But I think, I think that's the thing in, in, in life. It's hard. It's hard not to look to other people to answer the questions about why you haven't gotten to where you should get to. You'll say everything. Oh, it's because Kevin Hart is short. Oh, it's because Trevor's light skin. Oh, it's because Kevin's dark skin. Dark skin's in flavor now. Oh, everyone will find a thing, man. The truth is you can only do what you do and then you wait for the moment when the opportunity presents itself for you to be successful. You don't have control over when that moment will happen. What you do have control over is how ready you'll be when that moment presents. So well said. So well said. And also a perfect segue, man, to your moment. You know, the Daily Show. That's a big That's a big moment. Yeah, that's a really big moment. Right? We're, we're talking about uh, Jon Stewart, who really took this and, and made it into the machine that we know it to be today. Yep. And him stepping down and passing the torch was a, was a huge fucking deal, yep. man. How, how did you get into that space? How were you, uh, you know, in the conversation of being the choice? How did this come about? You see, it was the small moments. So when I started doing comedy in South Africa, um, the widely regarded opinion of most comedians was, was, or the widely held opinion rather was, was that you shouldn't put your comedy online. Everyone would say, don't put mm. your clips online. Don't put your stuff on TV because then you can't do it again. And it's, it's an understandable point of view. You want to make money from doing the live shows. I was one of the first comedians who went the opposite way. I said, no, I'm going to put all my stuff out there because I can mm -hmm. never do as many shows as people can see things on TV or online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I might lose that joke and the surprise, but I get access to a whole new audience. And that's what happened. Wow. The reason Jon Stewart contacted me is because the executive producers on the show saw one of my clips when I was in South Africa. They didn't, I wasn't here. I was doing my jokes in South Africa. I was traveling around the world. And then they saw me, they showed it to Jon, and the story goes, he looked at the clip and he was like, yo, he's like, that kid could do what I do. And he's like, you should, you guys should bring him to the show. And then he called me. And I remember at the time I was in London, I was in Harrods and I was looking at like, I was looking at an underwater scooter. I remember this it was an underwater, like moped. And I remember just watching this and I was like, man, white people are amazing. Just like, this is, this is when you've truly succeeded in life is when you can just start inventing shit. What if we ride bikes underwater? I was like, man, you've made it. And so... <laughs> I was like, I was like, we are here talking about equality and bullshit. White people are already on underwater scooters. And so, yeah. and so I'm looking We're at behind. that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and my phone rings, random American number, voice goes, Hey, Trevor, it's John Stewart. I, I'm, I'm the host of The Daily Show. I'm like, well, this, this can't be the John Stewart. Can't be the day. I'm like, whatever. And the man says to me, he goes, like, Hey, I, I, I love your comedy. 
I'd love for you to come to to my show. Let's try to do something together. I was like, I, 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 I don't know. He's like, no, I'm, what do you mean you don't know? And I was like, well, I've got my, I've got a tour that I just sold out. And you know better than anyone, Kev, how hard it is to sell a ticket. Absolutely. You remember what it was like when you were driving from Philly to New York. Absolutely. You remember what it was like when you were just trying to get on stage. People were buying the drinks. They weren't even buying your tickets. They were buying the drinks and the jokes came for free. To give two shits about the jokes. Exactly. And so now here I was, I had just sold out my first tour in the UK. And I was like, John, I, this is amazing, but I can't let these people down. And I turned him down. And he said, he's like, I don't think anyone has ever turned me down before. And I said, I'm, I'm not even trying to be offensive. This is my dream. So respectfully, I'm going to say no. And he said, well, if you do come to New York, look me up and come and join me at the show. And about a year later, maybe, if, if my timelines are correct, I was in New York and I was doing my show here. And he called me again. He said, you're in New York. You didn't look me up. I said, ah, I, I forgot. He's like, just come to the Daily Show. And I got there. And you know, Kev, sometimes you meet people who you feel like you've known your entire life. And with comedians, that becomes an exponentially mm. bigger experience because you also mm -hmm. share a comedic rhythm. And we were talking. Yeah, but we were talking about things where, you know, like he would, we would both come. I always, I always laughed and I said, John and I would always come to the same conclusion, but using a different mathematical formula. So when you'd look at our work, you'd go like, how do these people both get to the same place, but in a completely different way? His comedy is so different to mine, but we have a similar way of, you know, a, a similar place we get to. You don't take the same road, but the same ideas attached to your journey. Yeah. The same ideas attached. I want to I, I wanna back up and just make sure that people heard what you said. You know, I think the most intriguing part is, you know, at this point in your career, the the thing that, that really, really stands out to me is that you're saying, hey, you know, at this moment, I sold out my first tour, which is a very big deal. I don't want people to just yeah, huge. to let that you know haul ass by them that's a big deal because as a comedian the one thing that you have that you control is your audience and when you finally do get that audience to ride with you and that audience is 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 willing to buy tickets on demand because you said you're going to be in said place and said destination mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. nothing bigger there's no level right. of accomplishment that that can surpass that because that's what we're doing comedy for to get to that point so to have the understanding and, and, you know, for lack of a better word, the balls, the balls to go, no, nah, John, I'm sorry, man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish this out because I don't want to, I don't want to fuck this up. And although what you're yeah. saying could be a big moment, I don't know if it's worth me jeopardizing this relationship with my fans that have yet to really right. see me in this space. Yeah, yeah, Huge. exactly. Exactly. Huge. So you get to New York, you, you meet with John, you go to the Daily Show. Was it just a tour? Was it, what was it? Oh, we just hit it off. We just hit it off. I just watched them make the show. And I was like, I, I remember even sitting there. Say, he said, what do you think? And I said, oh, I could never do this. I was like, this is ridiculous. I don't know what a Mitch McConnell is. I don't know who this John Bona person is. He's like, Bena. I was like, okay, that too. <laughs> I said, this is just crazy. I don't know what's, this is wild. I said, I understand how your politics mm -hmm. works, but the people, what is this? He said, yo, he's, no one knows it until you know it. He says, you're a smart guy, you'll get it. And, you know, I was like, I don't know. He said, let's do a bit on the show. And we did this bit where, you know, we talked about like coming to America from Africa for the first time. And that just came from us laughing and having a conversation. He was like, what do you think of New York? And I said, well, to be honest, I think the roads are shitty. I said, I, I came from a third world country thinking I was coming to a first world country. And then I was like, well, we got better roads back home. And then we just laughed about that. And I was like, I was like, what is this shit? I was like, you guys got to come to Africa so we can show you the roads. We got to, you know what I mean? Um... And so he was like, why don't we just do this on the show? 
And that's literally how I did my first like, bit on the show. That's, that's my, how it started. Yeah, that was it. And then he said, come back. And I said, well, I'm going home. I'll, I'll be back maybe. I think I was back maybe a month later. And then he was like, you got to come back again. I was like, ah, John, I don't know. And I came back. And then he quit. And then he was like, you should do it. I felt like, I honestly felt like Charlie on the Chocolate Factory. I felt like Willy Wonka was just like, what do you think? You like the chocolate? All right, kid, it's yours. You know, you're like, I'm not that political. I'm not that strong, you know, in this space. I'm not as strong as you are. He goes, I'll stop it. You'll, you'll get it. You'll, you'll learn it. You're a smart guy, right? Right. Once you're now, once you're now embedded in this machine and you decide Mm -hmm. to take the job, give me a breakdown of your homework. Like what? What did you do to prepare? Like, I mean, is this is this massive books that you just decided to read? Papers? What? Yeah. So I spent the few months that I had because we didn't have time to pre-produce the show. They wouldn't give us the time. They said this is it. This is when the show needs to launch. And so I think we had, if I'm not mistaken, I think we had maybe six weeks. Mm. From John leaving to me starting. Shit, man. Yeah, it was somewhere. It was really, really short. Yeah. And so it was like, this is it. You hit the ground running. And so I, I just remember, I was like, okay, learn everything you can. And yeah, I'm reading history books. And I'm like, okay, when I'm studying American civics and I'm going through all this stuff and I'm watching all the news. And that's when the, that's when it hit me. I was just like, I, was, I remember watching like CNN the whole day and then I'd watch Fox the whole day. And then I was like, but I don't, I don't actually know anything. I know the people are fighting, but I don't know anything. What's actually happening? Mm-hmm. Maybe like, it was like a month of this. I, I said to one of the people in the office, my eyes just like, like dark circles around my eyes. I said to one of the, the writers, I said, hey man, how do you keep up with this stuff? I haven't slept. And he said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I watch this and I watch this. And he said, oh no, no, no. You don't watch the news in America. They, they don't tell you anything. You've got to read. You've got to, you've got to, you know. Wow. And and that and that's because where, where I grew up, the news is just facts. There's no BS. That's it. It's boring, but that's the news. There's no like, well, the, the question is, should should black people have equality? I'm gonna bring two people on to argue about this. We don't do that where I'm yeah. from. They just tell you what happened and then that's that. Yeah. No one comes on to give like tons of opinions about what happened. And so it gave me a deeper understanding of what was happening. And so then I just dug into like the, the actual things that were happening. Not what was being, not how people were feeling about it, but just the news. And that's what I do till this day. So I read everything from the New York Times, LA Times. I'll read Al Jazeera. I will, you know, I'll jump in on like even some like online things like the skim. I'll, you know, read Axios. I'll, you know, I'll read Bloomberg. I, I like everything I can get my hands on. I'll read like, um, you know, the, the Times from the UK. Well, this is like everything, the Guardian. And I just, every morning, that's my, the way you're in the gym, that's how I spend my time with just like news. That's me every morning. Do you have it down to a rhythm or do you feel like it gets a little, is it overwhelming at this point or is it down to a science? No, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like keeping up with my, it's like keeping up with my favorite TV shows. Give me the work time. I do the opposite of you. So my day starts at, let's say like 8 a.m. somewhere there. So I'll be up usually. Lazy ass. I knew you'd say that. You those, you those early morning tyrants. <laughs> that's who you are. You those people who think everyone who doesn't wake up at the butt crack of dawn is somehow like a miscreant of society. You those assholes who want to go like jogging before the sun comes up. Yeah. That's who you are. You those people, you got to rise, rise and shine. You got to be, yo man, yeah. come on, Kev. We're not <laughs> slaves anymore. So like I can wake up whenever I want to wake up, Kev. I'm free. Um, crack of dawn out here is crazy people. Uh, my mom is like you. I don't, I don't do that. So I, I wake up late and I stay up late. Okay. Start the day around like 8 a.m. Um, first thing I do is I meditate, I breathe, um, and then I'll go through, I'll do some journaling and then I dance. I have to dance every single morning, minimum two songs, 
most of the time Afro beats. Then I'll row just to make people like you happy. I'll maybe row for like 20 minutes if I can, just to get the body moving. Okay. Um, then I read. Then I jump in. Then I jump in, jump in, read, read, read. Probably done reading about an hour, an hour and a half into it. That's when I like team up. Now it's virtual. So, you know, I don't even have to, like, I don't have the commute in between. So I'll jump on with the team. We immediately start working on the show. What's happened? What's happening? What are we doing for tomorrow? What are we pre-producing? What are we doing for today? That's most of the work. And then we get into it and we start thinking of ideas. What's the conversation? What are the arguments? We talk, we laugh, we chat. That goes all through the day. And then we have to get ready, you know, in the studio to start interviewing people. That's about like 2 p.m., uh, 3 p.m., then we start re getting ready to tape the show. And then because the show is coming out that night, you've got to tape it, you've got to get it done and edit it and that's it. And then, you know, so that's, we're normally done with that process around, let's say the taping part around like 6 p.m. is to 7 p.m. And then there's post-production that'll maybe leave us done at like, let's say eight. And then like the team will handle most of that part without me. Um, yeah, and then that'll be that. And then what I'll do is then go and read the end of the news you know, the end of the day's news because there's stuff that's happened now. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll go down to the cellar, maybe do some comedy. Sometimes I'll do jokes that I want to try on the show the next day. You know, that's where I'll test them with an audience or I'll just go and start preparing what I want to do, not for the next day's show, but for a future show. And then, then I try and live life because that's a piece of advice Chris Rock gave me. I used to work seven days a week, almost nonstop, like as many hours, 16 hours a day. And then Chris Rock was just like, he's like, he's like, you're going to be a terrible comedian. He's like a terrible, terrible comedian. You're going to be trash. And I was like, what do you mean, Chris? And he's like, he's like, you can't just be doing, he's like, without life, there is no comedy. Mm -hmm. He's like, comedy comes from life. So if you don't live life, what jokes are you talking about? Yeah, no jokes. Yeah, what are you doing? And so now part of my work is living life. And so I ride a bicycle around New York. I live, meet people, talk, just ha have things happen to me. Well, I love that you gave a, an example of your day. This is where people have, a, have such a clouded vision of what we do, right? Because it's all glamorous. It's all lights. It's all cameras action, right? They don't understand the actual right. wear and tear through a day. So you talk oh, yeah. about oh, yeah. you know, going from 8 a.m. to that 8 p.m. time. But during that time, it pretty much is all work. It's all all work. Yeah. It's very minimum when it comes to play. The play just comes you mm -hmm. doing what you love. The question, exactly. the yeah. question that I have though is, you know, you're you're building so much material around this show. You're doing it with your team um, of people that work on the show. When you're off and you do decide to go work on what would act as your personal comedy, how are you separating the two worlds? Because you're embedded into this other side of thinking. So when you talk about you yeah. living life, how are you separating them? And are you consciously doing that? Are you consciously saying, I could talk about this here, not here. Here's what I do. Um, one of the best compliments I ever got was, was, a, was an old man on a plane and his son. Maybe this guy was about like, uh, maybe he was like 70 years old. And he came over to me, this big gruff man with a round red face. And he came over to my seat in the plane and he was like, excuse me, young man, you Trevor Noah? And I said, uh, yes, sir. And he said, I, uh, my son is a big fan of yours, loves your show, TV show. He brought me to your stand-up. Now, I don't like your politics, okay? I don't appreciate a lot of the things you say in your politics, but I think you're a very funny young man. I came to your stand-up show, wow. and I laughed a lot harder than I expected. It was really funny, and I just wanted to say thank you because I had a pleasant... I thought I was going to feel alienated coming to your show with my family, but... I actually felt good and I laughed with them. And you know what? Thank you for that. And keep keep it up. You keep doing it. You, you're doing a great job. Okay. You're doing a great job. I was like, thank you very much. So he went and he sat down. 
Um, and what, 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 what stuck with me from that was, was this. I work in a world where I'm, I'm synthesizing the news, right? And that's what The Daily Show is, and that's what I love, is what The Daily Show is, synthesizing the news. That means, however, that my gift and my curse will be the news. Mm. So if the news takes a certain bent, my show will be forced to take a certain bent. So if the news is covering Donald Trump, my show is covering Donald Trump because Donald Trump is in the news. Like now, the news hasn't covered Donald Trump, so my show hasn't been covering Donald Trump. You with me? Mm -hmm. But I am in many ways at the mercy of the news. If The Daily Show is a sailboat, the wind that powers it is the news. Mm. And so that's what I'm doing. With my stand-up, the infinite universe that exists within my head is what powers my show. So on my on my stand on my stand-up shows, like in my shows, I'll 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 read a book about history and colonization. I'll be like, oh man, I want to do a joke about how the British colonized India. Mm. You know, I'll I'll read a book about about physics and I'll just be like, man, I should try a joke about this because I just find this concept funny. I'll be reading or listening to hip hop and reading a story about something that's happening with Lil Nas X and Boosie, and I'll be like, man, I, I go, I want to talk about this. This mm -hmm. is that's where my stand-up, so it has differentiated itself naturally because it's my yeah. life. So on The Daily Show, I won't talk about my life in that way. I won't be like, oh, this is a vacation I went on or this is because this, that's not what the show is about. Mm -hmm. My stand-up is a lot more personal. It's a lot more, um, it's a lot broader. And what I've always loved about stand-up is that it is whatever it needs to be. Jerry Seinfeld, you don't know when he's thought of it, how he's thought of it, it just is. It's just happening. You know, Wanda Sykes, when she gets on stage, it is just happening when it's happening. You don't know when or how. And, and that's what I've always loved about stand-up. So you can tell a joke that's one day old. You can tell a joke that's 10 years old. As long as you know how to make it special for that audience on that day, that's what counts. And so it's never finished. You know better than anyone. Never. Your show is, is never finished, but it's always finished. It's like, it's, it's, it, it is, you just have to do it when you have to do it. And so that's why it's very different for me because the daily shows, hey man, whatever I can make on the day, I've got to make it and I'm done. And I've got to be happy and sad with the fact that the day is finished. And, you know, sometimes I go home and I, I'll sleep and then I'll be like, ah, damn it, there's a better joke I could have told. If I told the joke like this, I could have switched the thing. I could have done the thing. I could have done it better. But yeah, I have to accept that I'm making a daily show. My stand-up is where I polish the craft. Here's what you do very well, man. You talk very well. Right. Like, you know, what I've fallen in love with from doing this podcast is listening. I love that I get to listen to the people that I'm talking to. We can look and gain information about those individuals. People are given the opportunity to talk and tell a story. And in doing that, you found a way to find humor at the highest levels in both. Right. And the work that goes into it, the work is strategic, it's calculated from what you read, from what you process. You're an information junkie. I can tell you're, you're a goddamn information junkie. You want knowledge. You want to be able to be well equipped to be in whatever environment that you're in. And for your work, for your work. Well, this is a space that puts you in any environment. We're talking any environment. Comedy puts you in any fucking environment. This is one of the few crafts <laughs> where you can go in front of any demographic, any age group. Uh, I mean, literally, right. country, state. You you call it, you can say whatever you yeah. want. It's something that puts you in front of the masses in ways that nobody else can ever be presented. Nobody else can ever be presented. And when you find a way to do that, 
and appeal to all, you're doing it the right way. And Trevor, just from the material that you've produced thus far, I am a friend, but I'm a fan, right? And I'm talking about your literature. Thank you. Man. You have one of the highest selling books that have ever been uh, that have been published uh, from a comedic space, right? Your your numbers are up there, buddy. How do I know? Well, because right. I fucking check. I want to know who does what and how, so I know where <laughs> I need to be. That son of a bitch, Trevor Noah, sold he sold a lot of fucking books. If you guys if you guys don't know, he sold a lot of fucking books. God damn it. Oh, man. Go get his book. This is Gold Mines, hosted by Kevin Hart. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now more from Kevin Hart on Gold Mines. And now when we're talking about stand-up comedy and we're talking about the level that you're doing it at, um, these are all big deals. But now you leave room for more. So does Trevor Noah want more? Is Trevor Noah looking for the other side of entertainment that comedy can present? Or are you happy in this space that you're in? Where, where are you at mentally now and what do you want? So where am I mentally now? I'm in a place of of healing and and recuperation. What does healing mean? What are you healing from? From this period of time that we've been through, Kev. You know, mm -hmm. I you know I I I think a lot of people. I think you're one of them as well. To be honest, a lot of people are good at like jumping up, shaking it off, and then getting back into things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I feel like I was slowly falling into that trap as a human being. I think America does that to a large extent. Mm -hmm. This place doesn't take the time to breathe. This place doesn't take the time to acknowledge pain and suffering. This take time doesn't. This place doesn't take the time to mourn. I realized I needed to mourn many things. I needed to mourn parts of my life that I lost because of the pandemic. Not seeing my friends and family who were trapped on the other side of a border. I needed to, you know, mourn not being able to go and visit countries that have shaped not just me but my comedy and how I see the world. You know. I am not me in isolation. I am me because I've been touched by multiple people all over the globe in the way they think and the way they help me think, you know? So, so every culture that I've experienced, every language that I've learned, these are all things that make me who I am. And so I'm not a good comedian in Dubai just because I'm a good comedian in Dubai. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm the people of Dubai are pretty much who made me that. You know, like I'm, I'm not a good comedian in Australia just by myself. It's the people of Australia. So I've, 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 I've mourned that and I still, I still mourn it. You know, uh, I'm sad about what we've lost in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm excited by what we could possibly gain as people. But now I'm, yeah, man, I'm in a, I'm in a really interesting, peaceful place where I don't want more. 
And I don't necessarily want less. I'm excited in the difference. You know, I, I'm excited to spend more time in clubs just doing comedy for the sake of doing comedy. I'm excited to spend less time touring and more time just thinking and laughing and talking to the people around me who shaped my comedy in the first place. Mm. I, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I'm, I'm learning to be a lot happier with what I have. Here's the best way to put it. I no longer live in a mindset of thinking of what I would like to make or how much I'd like to make it. I'm now living in a world where I go, oh, no, no, I've made it. And so now what I'm trying to do is just enjoy what I have made. Oh, oh, I like it. No, you know what? I take that back. I love it. Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, especially when you've grown up poor, you live in a mindset of being poor. And one of the hardest things to do when you've grown up poor is to ever acknowledge the fact that you have for a few reasons. One, the survivor's guilt. You're terrified. You're, you're scared of the fact that you have and, and the place that you, you came from doesn't have. The people that maybe you grew up with don't have in the same way. There's a guilt that comes with that. There's a burden. Then you might be surrounded by family or friends who want from you because now you have. Oh, Kev, you different now. Oh, you won't help me buy. You won't help me buy my barbershop. You different, Kev. All I asked you for is a million dollars. You remember we grew up together, Kev. Why you got to be like that? That weighs on you as a human being. Learning how to say no to friends or family. Learning how to protect yourself and not be what the people say you are. Learning that you are generous despite how people may think of you. These are all things that, that weigh on us. And this is not just in the comedy space. This is like black people in general, I find. Get into, like, as, you, as soon as you start earning what I call like the first dollar, there's always the first dollar, dollar that a, a black family member will make. And that dollar has so many burdens upon it. You know, because you, you, you've you got to look after sometimes the parents that helped you make that first dollar. You've got to look after the uncles and aunts that were part of that first dollar. It comes with a lot of burdens. You know, it's funny. I said, uh, I, I had a conversation. I was talking to my wife. We were having a conversation. And, you know, her, her biggest thing is always just checking on me, making sure that your mind is okay. It's the biggest thing. Like, are you okay? Her fear is, I don't want you snapping one day. And just just losing it because you got so much, Kevin. Yeah. You get so much. Yeah. There's so much shit that. that's happening. You're dealing with so much. You take it all on, right? It's all on your mind. Mm. And mm -hmm. I told her, I said, you know what I've realized? I said, success, success isn't for the successful. And listen to what I'm about to say. It really isn't, isn't about the person that has achieved this high level of success. The people that really find a success are the ones that now are able to benefit from the successful accomplishment. Okay. Right? Like if, because when you get to said place, you now provide opportunities for others based off of what you've been able to do. So the, the successful, right? You, you now, yes. Okay. You now are living and you're now creating, but what you're creating yes. falls down. It falls to opportunities for others. And these others that yes. are now gaining the opportunities and the 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 moments from them. Well, it's all feeding off of the machine from the successful, right? And what happens right. is there's right. expectations that now come. There's wants that needs. There's wants and needs that mm -hmm. are now mm -hmm. placed on you and and you know put on you. And some of this stuff can be misconstrued as burdens of others. Some of this stuff can be problems. It just it trickles. It doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. There's a crazy effect. There's a crazy cause and effect from it, right? And you look right. up and you go, "Wow, look at this shit! I've accomplished this and I've done this." And people are like, "Well, how come you don't stop? Or or why why are you not finished?" And you look down and there's a real point when you go, well, I kind of can't because 
there's so many people that are right. now connected to this tree. Yeah. And all of these branches, right. well, these branches all serve a purpose. So the day that mm-hmm. I stop and the day that I walk away, I got to be so secure with my decision and so okay because I don't want to have to deal with all of the questions that are going to come from these other branches on the tree. So so you right. you you don't want to deal with the guilt of, well, what did I leave behind? Who did I left behind? You know, mm-hmm. who's okay, mm-hmm. who's not okay? When you go, you have to be okay with saying, I'm making the right decision for me right. and, and for, for my mind, myself. And what right. happens after that happens after that. But that's such a big step. Mm-hmm. That's such a big step for that person or persons that have accomplished said level of success. Because the fear is leaving those people behind and not taking care it's of It's a guilt. It's not just a fear. It's a guilt. Yeah, it is. When you said that's why I brought it up. It's like it's the guilt. Yeah. The guilt that comes exactly. with that. It's a it's a, a it's major a big guilt. thing. It's a big deal. Right. And it's it's one that I'm willing to bet so many people um that get to, you know, that get to see levels of success that get to make you know make it through certain doors i think on every level if you've grown up with nothing there's that burden that'll come with it it does not matter what the job is yes in entertainment it'll be a high level maybe but any level because people think everyone in entertainment makes all the money some people make enough money to sustain themselves every year but their family still has an expectation you know and so so for myself Mm -hmm. what i'm trying to do is free myself from my expectation of myself and what i mean by that is Give myself the permission to say no, for instance. You know how hard it is. I know better than anyone that you probably know how hard it is to say no because you feel guilty. Someone says, hey, Kevin Hart, we're going to give you a million dollars to do this thing. You're like, I don't really want to do it. I want to spend the time with my kids. But then you, then the old Kevin Hart, broke Kevin Hart, comes and goes like, you going to turn down this money, Kevin Hart? Yeah. He taps in. Who the fuck do you think you are? But I want to be with my family. It's like, yo, all they want you to do is eat these biscuits and say, I love biscuits. You're going to turn, yeah, you're gonna turn this you down, do. Kevin? That's all you, you can't do, eat the Kevin? biscuit. You t- you too see good what, to eat the biscuit. <laughs> and then you remember you remember broke Kevin. You remember young Kevin. Mm-hmm. But the hardest thing to do is say yeah no. But you know what I also need to do? I also need to go on this trip with my family, jump in the water with my son, dance to this TikTok with my daughter, mm-hmm. have a great time with my wife because that is also success. And so that's why I say to my friends all the time as I go, I'm not even lying when I say it's not even like some. Oh, you know, hokey thing that, no, I go, guys, I've always said like the Forbes list is one of the worst things I've ever seen because it measures people's success by one metric alone. And that metric is money, money. You will kill yourself with all the money in the world. My friend, you will die in a cave, like a dragon from Lord of the Rings with all the money in the world. What I want to be is the number one. You don't know that, but you don't know that until you've made it, Trevor. You don't know that until you made the money. To yeah, see but I want to, I want to be on the number one. I want to be on the top spot Forbes, happiest, yeah. happiest people. That's yeah. what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm aiming for. And so that's what this period is for me now as Trevor is, is learning and unlearning, funny enough, so many of the things that have made me who I am and what I would like to be going forward. And a pandemic is a great time to do it. You said a lot of interesting things just now. And I, and I love the discovery of, you know, look, it's not the money isn't necessarily going to make you happy. And, you know, you, you have to get to a point. Can I say this real quick? I will say this. A lot of people. And I hate it when people say this. A lot of very rich people be like, money doesn't make you happiness and money won't buy you happy. Yo, let me tell you, being broke doesn't make you happy either. And not having money will not bring you happiness either. I think you always, you know, people don't frame it enough. Let me tell you something. I've been, you know, I remember when the bank was calling to try and like come and take my car or my bank balance dropped below and now the bank was negative. I didn't even know that was possible when I did have, yo, do not get it twisted. 
being broke is not like these are not things that will make you happy. A lot of the time, very wealthy people be like, money's not the thing. No, but they have access now and they can make more money. And so, no, no, I'm not saying you. I'm just saying I want to, everyone listening to this, I hope they understand that point as well as like, there's a sweet spot. I'm going to break it down so that it can't be misconstrued or confused, right? It's this. It's, it's not about, it's not about us saying that money won't make you happy because what you just said is correct, right? Being broke necessarily won't either. I'm saying that what you find when you do get to a place of of financial success Preach, is that it's not it's not everything right mm-hmm. and before you get to that place you yes. think it's everything you think that everything is going to be glitz and glamour now that you have it and what you find mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of problems that come with it there's a yes. there's a ton of 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 woes that come with the financial success now this doesn't mean that we're complaining about it this means that this is a this is an understanding that we now have based off of experience some yes. don't get to have the experience to say these things mm-hmm. or 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 to know why we're saying these things what it boils down to is moments where you look around and you go it's not about this shit all this shit that I thought that I had to have yes. all this shit that I thought that I needed it doesn't put the smile on my face what does put the smile on my face it can be the love from a loved one it can be the opportunity to wake up and simply mm-hmm. say I'm healthy it could be uh, a walk in the park with right. with your last living relative it's the things that you start to grab onto that you realize really are important in life and and what we're saying is that is a learned, it's a learned quality because right. because what I felt would be the shit to make me go, oh yeah, now at the age 42, it doesn't move the needle for me. Mm-hmm. Now at the age 42, I know the things that mean the most. And that thing that means the most is watching my little girl now, you know, take her first bite of real food. <laughs> and I get to say, damn, I'm living to see it. She just ate her first piece of chicken. She's gnawing on a chicken bone. Holy shit, there's no more joy. That's the biggest piece of joy. Or my son being a teenager and he shakes my hand like a grown man and says, what up, dad? That to me is where I get so much fulfillment because right. I'm like, look at my boy. Right. Look at my boy growing up or my daughter saying, dad, I want to talk to you today. And she, she schedules time because her days are getting busier to have breakfast with dad. When you start to see these things... You go when this is what life is about. Right. This is what life is about. So, yes, the finances do help you. Yes, the finances do allow you to do more things. Oh, definitely. But what we're saying is don't lose sight. Don't yeah, lose man. sight and put too much value on that. Because yeah. if, if it's if it's too much, you're going to overlook the important things. And this is oh, what yeah. Trevor's saying by saying he's tapping back into that place now. And that's where he's finding his peace. And this is a journey that people go through. Don't don't miss yours. Don't miss your opportunity to to have your to have your journey for you, not for other people, but for you. Mm-hmm. That's the, Trevor. You're a very fucking profound guy, man. You're a very profound guy, and 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 talking to you is is so dope because you you challenge the you challenge the other person that you're talking to to think. Oh, you man, you say you, things Kevin. that that really make me pause and process. Right. And, and that's that's the that's the making of a, of, of a great conversation when you can do that, because it's not just about banter 
or or unnecessary <laughs> back and forth. I think you right. you're, you're really saying things uh, that people need to hear. I think people are going to find extremely interesting when they listen to this. Just about you, your character, your your approach to life. Um, you know the way you're handling your success and and why your future is going to be extremely bright. You seem to have an amazing handle on it, dude. This was this is what I thought it would be. This is why I wanted to fucking talk to you. Don't make me take so long next time. What an asshole. Jesus Christ. You're Scott, not an asshole. You're, you're just busy. Asshole. Why would you call yourself an asshole? Oh, you're talking to me? You're saying I'm an asshole? I was talking about you. Yeah, I was talking Kevin, about you, man. Kevin, Kevin, not me. Kevin, Kevin, I'm the furthest, <laughs> thing, furthest thing from an asshole. Who's yeah. that in the background? I'm not, there's, there's no... That's my dog, man. No, man, there's no, like, you... I genuinely did not understand how you even have the time because I barely have the time. And I was like, who, how does Kevin, they were like, Kevin wants to talk to you. I was like, but when? They're like, when? And then the one day that I'm free, they're like, yeah, Kevin couldn't come because he's making a movie, you idiot. He can't work on that day. He makes movies. And I was like, well, that's what I said in the beginning. Now I'm the idiot because I don't know that Kevin, I knew Kevin Hart makes movies. Now I'm the idiot. Like where are you right now? You this are, is not, where you are you right are, now? What are you in right now? Where are you? Are you at I'm home? In my trailer. I'm in. Uh, I'm doing. You see, I'm filming me time, and see, I literally right have like right now. You are not break. even. You are not even at home right now, as we speak. This is what I'm talking about. Very Kevin true. Hart. It's very the true. The hardest working man. Like, but, but let me tell you, you know something. Every time, doing? every time I see a watch you're wearing, a car you're driving, a vacation you're on, anything you have, people will be like, "Oh, Kevin." The, then I'm like, "Yo, man, do you know how much work is attached to that watch? I do not want that watch in particular because I don't want to work that much." That's what I think of all the time. I, I genuinely think people don't understand how much you work. I, I don't think they get it. And that's why I say you well, deserve you everything, know what, man. man. You deserve everything. You know what? I will say this. I will say as, as hard as I work, I'm still enjoying it. I'm not getting to a point to where I hate it, which is a good thing. And in my job now and doing this, this is something that I genuinely love to do because once again, I get to get educated on, on people that I, that I, I'm once again, a fan of people who right, yeah. I'm moved by and, and dude, you're one of those people, Trev, I'm, I'm so happy love, for yeah, you. For I'm real, so proud man. of Thank you and all the success that you have had and that you're having. And as a stand-up comic dude i i love to see you you know open these doors i love to see you break down uh this this business and and this you Thank know you, this man. now new that, right because when people felt like our craft was falling down and going through stuff i feel like our craft is now coming back and we have the potential to be stronger than ever there's so many stars so many so many amazing amazing pieces of talent that yeah, uh, that that share the title comedian definitely please man continue to offer greatness dude wait before you let me go uh, though let me say this for the people just so that they understand. A lot of the time people say, I'm a fan. I've always been a fan. And you know, it seems like it's platitudes. It may seem like that. Let the record show mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. when nobody, and I mean nobody, would agree to be the first guest on my show. You know, nobody agreed, Kev. Nobody. People were like, I don't know about oh, it. They were, I, when I was hosting the first, first episode of The Daily Show, people were like, ah, I don't know about this guy. I don't, yeah, no, thank you. Nobody. And then... I was like, guys, what if we tried Kevin Hart? And they were like, well, I mean, if everyone else says no, I was like, well, well let's just try Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart said yes. He said it instantly. Yes. He didn't ask me to beg him. He came and he was like, yo, man, people won't touch you with a 10-foot pole, but you're a comedian. I think you're funny. And I'm going to jump in this thing and let's ride it. Let's ride it till the wheels fall off. And I will never forget that. Because that, that for me, Absolutely. my friend, is the measure of a man. And I genuinely will never forget that in my life. The first guest on The Daily Show that no one believed in, by the way, and so you're not here today celebrating my success post the people. You were there from the very mm. beginning. 
man. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything else. That's the perfect way to end. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Comedy Gold Mines, and oh my God, what an amazing mind we got in today. Trevor Noah, the man, the myth, the now legend. And I say that because I mean it. This is Comedy Gold Mines. Thank you, Trevor. Dude, this is uh, this is exactly what it was supposed to be. I appreciate you. Thank I love you, you champ. Continue Thank to you, man. continue to goddamn do what you do and do it at the highest level for you. Thank you, man. I thank love you it. to you. Thank you to your team. And most importantly, thank you to your Nico Hart for checking in on your mind because that's the most important thing. Gold Mines with Kevin Hart is a Sirius XM and Laugh Out Loud radio production. Executively produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Weil. Additional production from Elise Ellis and engineered by Marcus Hamm. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.